<laughs> um, hi, everyone. I'm Kales, and this is my brother, JMO. What up, um, everybody? Hi. What are you, like a radio announcer? Jeez. Dude, I'm just me. I don't know. <laughs> just just let, letting it fly. I don't know. Well, a- as we've learned, uh, John Michael is very John Michael, and McKaylee, me, Kales, is very Kales. And we, I am older. John Michael is younger. We're about six years apart. This podcast is called Sing, Batter, Sing. And for any smart person out there, they would have recognized that that's a reference to swing, batter, swing. And it is a way for JMO and I to combine our loves of baseball and Broadway, of teaching each other about our favorite things. I'm a huge theater geek. Um, I worked professionally in theater for many years. I was a child actor, then got into tech and stage management, um, been an award-winning playwright. Um, I love theater. Um, It's been something that I'm thrilled to get back to, even though we're still in this ongoing pandemic to try and do it safely. And it's one of my favorite obsessions. And poor JMO has had to see my shows for (laughs) his entire life. And even still, he doesn't know everything about it, but he loves me and loves learning. So he's going to learn about Broadway. Uh, JMO, you want to tell everybody a little bit about you and your love of baseball? Um, yeah, no, I grew up going to all the plays and I have, I actually have a quite an interest in theater cause it's something that I was never personally involved in, but I just observed a lot mm-hmm. and it just takes so much skill and practice. Yeah. Like I, I noticed that, that I was like, wow, like there's so much time spent. Cause like I would have to, you know, I go with mom to, to pick you all up from, from rehearsals and I would be an usher and you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, man, they're putting in a lot of hours of this stuff. Yeah. Like, holy crap. And and it was stuff that like it didn't really come naturally to me. You know, I was always more drawn drawn toward athletics, but it was I was always impressed. I was always impressed. And so I loved learning from McKaylee like about how it works and the different shows and all that kind of stuff. And so this this podcast felt felt very natural where I was like, oh, Michaela's just going to teach me about things that happen in theater that I have no clue about. Oh, I'm about that. Like, that sounds great. And so on the um, flip side. Jamie, I was going to teach me about baseball, which I've been very actively involved in baseball, but I want, I would love for you to share your love of baseball first. Yeah, and then I'll, yeah. I'll describe how I got into it. Definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 my first word is ball. I love, I love sports. Always have baseball has always been my number one thing. Always. I mean, it was like just a pure love from the very mm-hmm. beginning. I played, I started when I was two. And I played all the way through my senior year of college. So I and then just, you coached for two years. And then I coached baseball for two years. So it has been, I mean, talk about like 10,000 hours, you know, like coach just, collegiate level. I'm not just talking like little league here. Like you, that was like yeah. your job. I, I, co- I coach youth, I coach high school and I coach yeah. college. Um, so I have a deep um, respect and profound joy for the game and it's taught me a lot in life and it's instilled so many amazing values and lessons and um, baseball is something that has such rich history and culture behind yeah. it. Like, it. It is such, it's so deep. And so, yeah, I, I love, I love it. I think that it is one of the best um, comparisons to life and that a lot of the things that you learn in playing the game of baseball, like how to fail how to stay mentally strong, how to, you know, deal with adversity and, and all that stuff that, that applies to life. It's applied to my life. So that's why I'm, I'm passionate about it and I love it. 
Yeah. And so consequently, then I went to all of John Michael's baseball games, the amount of family vacations that were centered (laughs) around John Michael's tournaments were so many. That was how I first went to Vegas, actually, was when you broke your nose playing center field and um, got a concussion. And I had a hard shoulder. He had a hard shoulder. And so, but, and then, so, and I learned how to keep book. Um, you taught me about what a strike zone was. And like, at one point I thought about getting a job as an empire, um, umpire, empire, ha <laughs> umpire. <laughs> Quite the job. Right. What? <laughs> and so, and, and we've loved the Rockies for years. Like that's our team. We, we I know they suck. Sorry. So we love bad. them, but they horrible ownership. Bad. If the ownership's listening to this, you guys suck. Okay. Sorry. That's my rant. I'm done. Go for it. Great. Go We're never it. getting Rockies to sponsor us or endorse this podcast <laughs> in the slightest. Um, but we, we grew up in Colorado and so the Rockies are our team and, you know, for better or worse, we love them lots. And so it's just been a, a, a foundation of our lives. And so now kind of funnily enough, neither one of us are professionally in theater or baseball. However, it's been decades of accumulating this knowledge that is just sometimes fun to share. And it just stays in your background of your life and your brain. And, it's something that we still both really respect and love and enjoy. And so when we find out new information about it, we want to share it with other people. And this is the way to do that. So it's just kind of a a, a podcast where I'm going to take some time and then tell John, uh, tell John Michael's story related to theater. And then JMO's going to take some time and tell me about baseball. And it might flip-flop based on editing or whatever. But essentially, each episode, what to expect is a Broadway story and a theater, a Broadway story, and a theater story, a baseball story, and a theater story. That, then, then the whole concept's out the window if it's Broadway. Back to back, it's just and then we have nothing. It's because I want to like say every bro- other- it's because it's alliterative, <laughs> and I want to say Broadway and baseball, but it's not just going to be about Broadway. So define alliterative for me. Uh, alliterative. Oh, it's alliterative. Got alliterative. It. I, thought it was, I thought it was a literative. I was like, no. what the heck is that? Alliterative. <laughs> okay. Alliterative. A L L I T E R A T I V E. Sure, because spelling. So that's what you're going to get on uh, Sing Batter Sing. And it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of laughs, and uh, a lot of learning. So, yeah. And I think one thing I want to add about it is I think that something that's so cool for Michaela and I is taking these worlds that seem so completely different. You know, as far as like athletics and performance and like, you know, baseball and Broadway, like they just seem very, very different and on opposite ends of the spectrum. But guess what? Yeah, we found in our lives that like there's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of things that kind of coexist and um, there's a lot of crossover. And so we think that that's cool. And that's like that's really a necessary thing in our our world today is to find common ground commonality between things that seem really different. Um, that's at least important for me. And even if it's just baseball and Broadway, as we start to do that, I think that that, that creates a better world. So, you know, I'm about creating better world with podcasts, you know, but your personal individual, better world, the world at whole, you know, I'm just looking it. to have fun with my brother <laughs> and to be able to rattle <laughs> off about my special interests where somebody other than my fiance is like, Hey, I want to tell you about this. And he's now forced <laughs> to listen to me. Who wants to go first? Dog, can I go first? If you never call me dog again, <laughs> sure. Okay, deal. Okay, this is a good one. This is a good one. I am very, very excited about this, how this manifested for me. Okay, Kales. 
Did you know that if you eat at a specific restaurant or wear the same pair of underwear multiple days in a row, that it might improve your batting average or your ERA? I'm sorry. Wait, what? <laughs> yes. What? This, okay. This. <laughs> what? Yeah. That's some superstitious shit. Exactly. Oh my exactly. God. Are we going into baseball superstitions? <laughs> oh, we are going into baseball ah, superstitions. So <laughs> yeah. Ah, yes. Bring it on. Okay. Okay. So we have to start with backstory. Okay. We have to start with context. So for those that don't know, baseball is a very hard sport. <laughs> it is so difficult. Like, literally, they say this all the time about baseball, right? That the best players in the world, right? the hitters only succeed three out of every 10 times. Okay. That that's a lot of failure, right? Kills. Can you imagine yeah. if you did like 10 Broadway shows and seven of them, you totally bombed. And then people were you like, you would never, you would never make it back on Broadway again. Exactly. But you, what, you, you would am- never, you would never make it back on Broadway <laughs> right. ever again. It's gotta be Unless like you're Neil of- Simon. And that's, yeah. that's a story for another day. It's got to be like 10 out of 10 amazing. And if you do like a thousand shows, you can have like one that sucks, right? Or something like right. that. Yeah, right. You can have one fluke. Okay, but that that's the concept, right? It's like if you did only f- like you did seven bomb shows, but then people came up to you and they're like, wow, but those three shows were incredible. Like you're an amazing performer, right? That's that wild. Would, that's what that would be like, right? It's like the only sport where like, that level of of success, like like success, is less than fifty percent of accomplishing the goal that you're trying to do, right? I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I I've never thought about it that way, but that's what a batting average is, right? Yeah, and batting average is hits over at bats, so it's how many times you get a hit versus how many times you are up at the plate. So baseball's hard, and you're primed to fail. Yes. So in perspective ha- of failure in <laughs> statistics and other things in the world, but in baseball. Failure is great. <laughs> well, it's it's a part of the game, right? So because of the failure, right? Because there's so much of it, right? Players, coaches, and organizations, honestly, they're, they're looking for any possible advantage that they can get, right? Like they're like, well, yeah, they're, they they're, want to win. Yeah, they're desperately clawing for anything that can help them fail less, right? And so, okay. so like, and, and also on the other side of that, they're they're, they're trying to cope with, the struggle of failing, right? It's hard yeah. to go do something and fail seven out of 10 times and be like, yeah, that was a great day. Like, you know what I mean? No. Like that, that's, that's hard mentally. Okay. So there's a desperation. Uh, it's a, it's a desire for control, right? Yeah. That's where superstition comes in. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So superstition is defined as a widely held but unjust- superstitious. Sorry, I'm just going to say right now that we're going to get a lot of really bad McKaylee singing and 90% of the time it's going to come from a musical, but I just had to throw some Stevie Wonder in there. And by the way, I, I, you know, it's only a matter of time before his life musical comes out. I'm just saying it because we got MJ and Cher and Carol. Yeah, why, why wouldn't they be Why wouldn't we do make that? Yeah, a Stevie Wonder. Anyway, yeah. please keep going. Um. I have to just a uh, quick backstory on that. Um, that's been happening my entire life, folks. So welcome to it. Welcome to it. Um, so there's going to be like a little segment that's going to be like, yeah. hey, John Michael, name that musical. And he'll just be like, <laughs> I don't know. Every but time then if he gets it, we'll throw a party. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, key point, tally point system, and hopefully I'll be three out of ten times successful. That'd be really good. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'll be but I'll be satisfied with that. Yeah, and that's a success in John Michael's world. Okay. Yeah, for sure, for sure, right? Um, but yeah, Michaeli bursting into songs half my entire life, and all musicals that I've never heard of, and I whatever. Okay, so superstition is defined as a widely held but unjustified belief in supernatural causation leading to certain consequences of an action or event it's if i do this thing then this other thing will happen okay yeah so here's some examples of actual superstitions that major league baseball players had oh my god okay (laughs) moises alu who had a 303 career batting average Mm -hmm. okay he didn't wear batting gloves so he peed on his hands what because he thought that that made them tougher ew (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay ken griffey jr who's one of the most prolific players of all time all right bought a brand new mercedes benz okay then he went into a slump so he decided to sell the car because he quote didn't think it had enough it, he didn't think it had any hits in it. <laughs> in uh, in a car? <laughs> in the car. That the car didn't have any hits in it, so he couldn't be driving it because he need you know he need hits. <laughs> in a car? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A guy named Turk Wendell would put four pieces, always four, <laughs> okay, of black licorice in his mouth before every inning that he pitched. And when he finished the inning, he would come into the dugout, brush his teeth, <laughs> and then put in four new pieces before he went back out for the next You know what? Inning. At least he brushed his teeth because all <laughs> I was thinking that whole time, I'm not kidding you, the whole, what I was thinking that whole time was his poor spouse. <laughs> I'm dead Black serious. So gross. Dude. It's nasty. It's so gross. It'll just yeah. But they said that like he cared very much about dental hygiene, but his superstition was that he needed to eat black licorice. So he was like, I'm gonna do Did both. He eat it? Actually, like swallow it or no, spit it no, out? I, th- I think he just like chewed on, on it, it and then like, kind of like tobacco shit that they do. I think or? so. I don't know. Black li- is, is black licorice edible? Is it edible? Yes, yes, it's oh, edible. Okay. For sure. I don't know if he swallowed it or not, but ew, God, can you imagine? That's so much sugar. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Justin Verlander always eats the same meal from Taco Bell before he goes out and pitches every inning. <laughs> What's the meal? Okay. And does it have to be a Taco Bell? It can't like be a Del Taco? Oh, yeah, it's Taco Bell. Yeah, so he gets the same order every time. Three crunchy Taco Supremes, no tomato, a cheesy gordita crunch, and a Mexican pizza, no tomato. <laughs> Sounds like dad. That's a lot of food before a start. Like I know. Well, like, you and, think he's about, a, right? like, and he's a starting pitcher? Yeah, and he's one of the best ever. He's one of the best to ever do it. Like, he was a guy that he would pitch, and, like, he would be throwing harder in the eighth inning than he was in the first inning. What if What if he's, like, sick, though? Or what if he doesn't have... What if he's playing in, like, <laughs> no man's land, and there's, like, no way to get to a Taco Bell? Then then he's probably going to have a bad start, I guess. That, that's what... <laughs> Right? That's insane. So those are just a few examples. And I'm going to move on because I want to keep getting into the story. But if y'all want to get more like superstition examples that we have, Bleacher Report has this great article that we'll we'll put in the link. 
and in the description and they have a whole article on like the top 50 is weirdest superstitions among i'm sorry i don't think MLB anything though beats peeing on your hand <laughs> <laughs> he better have his own goddamn bat and it better be like <laughs> and it better be like it, it, nobody touches what was the dude's name moises what was his name? moises alu moises yeah, alu. Mo- nobody touches moises bat that's the pee bat <laughs> that's the pp bat <laughs> and it's limits. like, or like whoever the you know the bat boys it's like they do rock paper scissors to like see who's gonna go pick up moises's bat They're like you like, do it this time yeah no, dude, the gas mask. no. i got dude, it last time me. bro i got it last time dude <laughs> like, no nose goes god damn it john i always lose i'm uh we need to stop doing rock paper scissors man i always do rock first okay <laughs> Um, so anyway, so like, it's so interesting to think about like how they develop and formulate, right? They, they come yeah. about in a variety of ways. Okay. So some of them are like more just by like happenstance, right? Mm-hmm. So an example of that, like, is like Mark Teixeira chooses, chose to wear two different socks every game because one day a teammate sock ended up in his locker and he put it on without paying attention. And then he went six for six with two home runs and four doubles. So he was like. Jesus. Yeah, I think I think I'm gonna do this every time. But it wasn't so, so but it's so interesting to me that that's what he attributes it to, right? Uh-huh. It wasn't anything, it didn't have to be the fact like he he, unlike the guy who eats Taco Bell all the time, right? Didn't attribute it to the Taco Bell meal he ate or whatever he ate for lunch that day before the game. Mm-hmm. He attributed it to the socks, which is yep. interesting. Personal association. That was what was different. And so he was like, yeah, it was must have been the socks. <laughs> Had to be the socks. Wild. Right? Yeah. So, uh, but then, you know, so some of them are by happenstance and then others come by like pure desperation. Um, like Jason Giambi choosing to wear a gold thong whenever he was in a slump. Like, like he, that's where he, he was desperate. So he was like, what can I do? That's so and that rad. Was that, as and then instead, Moises is just like, no, dude, pee on your hands. <laughs> dude, just, dude, just piss all over him. Just pee It'll on work. your hands. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, but that's what he came up with, right? He's like racking his brain. He's sitting there and he's like, man, I'm in this slump. Nothing's working. I'm trying to change my approach at the plate. I'm trying to, you know what I should do? I'll just do something radically different. I'm going to just wear a gold thong. That'll be it. That'll change everything. <laughs> that I mean, like, that's the thought process. How right? does his cup okay. fit in there? <laughs> Some of them didn't wear cups, which is quite amazing. I'm s- what? <laughs> oh, no. Oh. I, I was born female, but shit. <laughs> dude, dude. That makes my coochie hurt. It is amazing. Well, I, okay, personal story real quick. You know, so like the cup thing, and on a quick sidetrack sidebar is the cup thing is like it's very interesting in the culture of baseball because some people have the idea that like if you wear a cup that means that you don't trust your glove <laughs> okay right that like oh that means that like i'm not I know a good y'all fielder can't hear it, but i just did the biggest eye roll ever <laughs> yeah okay so some people have that belief right? you know what i don't trust physics or like <laughs> gravity or like wh- that's or bad what hops I, that's what or bad hops bad hops i don't trust groundskeepers <laughs> i don't trust that's what i don't trust fuck the glove <laughs> fuck the glove okay or i don't trust my own ability right so a lot of guys stand very firm on that okay so i was always a cup guy because to me it was like well you know it's kind of like the idea of not wanted children someday 
Well, and you'd rather have it. You'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. You know, that's kind of how I'd go about it. But the thing with the cup is they are uncomfortable and they look weird. You know, I mean, they're they're really not great. The amount of times I'd open the family dishwasher and that thing was sitting in there. (laughs) Ew. It's gross. (laughs) So much sweat and gnarly. gnarly. Oh, okay. Go back to superstitions. We won't be graphic. Okay. Um, I've already said coochie on the podcast. We're already way (laughs) past that point. It's fine. Coochie. Um, (laughs) Mom mom Uh, is going to be so proud. (laughs) We love you, mom. But anyway, okay, personal anecdote. I was like, I'm a cup guy. And then I started being like, wait, why am I wearing cups? I, you know, I fell into the whole trust your glove crap. And then um, I was in a practice one day and guess what happened? Physics. Yeah. Square in the right nut, dude. Square. And and I collapsed. I went to the ground and it hurt so bad. And I wanted to puke for like 10 minutes straight. And I go, I'm wearing a cup every single time. I don't care. But it's amazing because some guys, there's guys that like all the guys that played in like the Dominican Republic, like they, those fields down there, unless you're like at a specific major league facility that's down there, they're not high quality fields, right? They're just like dirt, dirt pods. And and so, like, guys that play, like, they're Adrian Beltre, perfect example, guy for the Texas Rangers. He's plays third base in the major leagues, which is, like, it's called the hot corner. You just get piss rods hit at you all day at third base. And he goes, yeah, I don't wear a cup because I'm never going to get, like, hops like I got back then. So he's like, I'm not worried about bad hops because, like, I used to just have to play when we the fields, you know, you never knew where the it ball hit, was going. hit a boulder, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so no, that, I, I visited a baseball field when I lived in Nicaragua, and yeah, it's a very different environment of, for sure. of what they play on. So but it makes they, sense. Yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, so that's a little sidebar on Cups. Okay, so back to superstitions. Superstitions, you know, we were talking about individual players, but they, they, they actually extend to teams, organizations, and literally like the game of baseball as a whole. You know, also does not surprise me because theaters and Mm -hmm. like directors or companies or touring shows, but then theaters, physical theaters themselves and the caretakers of the theaters have superstitions and stuff too that they have to do. Yeah, I mean, superstition is seeped in theater. Freaking the Scottish play. Like the whole idea... You don't know what that is. No, I have no idea. Oh, did you? Could you tell by the look on my face? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to not go any farther into what the Scottish play is and do an episode on the Scottish play. Oh, Lordy, the Scottish play. <laughs> How was that? Was, was no. that an okay accent? Was it bad? No. It was very bad. Think Shrek. Shrek is a Scottish accent. Whatever. I got to practice. Anyway, okay. That's good to know that superstitions in, in theater, like I, that's huge, huge. Yeah. Okay, cool. You'll have to do an episode on that. So an example, right? An example of how it extends to the entire game of baseball. And this is like major leagues and it goes all the way down. Like, it's amazing. There's so much baseball happening. And like, this is a taboo that exists in the entire game, right? And so it, it the taboo is that players, coaches, fans, executives, umpires, and announcers, right? Don't speak about, they don't say it out loud that a pitcher is pitching a no hitter or a perfect game. Okay, so a no hitter. You don't jinx it. You don't. Yeah, because if you say it, you can jinx it, right? And 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 so, dude, if like if a pitcher's throwing a no hitter, which means that they're not giving up any hits, or they're throwing a perfect game, which means that nobody's reaching first base, right? Nobody's reaching base. If you say, "Oh my gosh, it's like the fifth inning," you're like, "Wow, he's throwing a perfect game." People will look at you with such shock and appall. They will be like, "What the what the hell are you doing?" It's like baseball (laughs) etiquette. Yeah, it's like, what the hell are you doing? Are you crazy? <laughs> Shut the hell up, man. 
like what kind of bad? I totally think I've been one of those people that said it. <laughs> I just get so excited yeah, that, I, know. that I know. No, you but I know. know what a no hitter is. So yeah. I get all excited when I'm like, oh my God, that that's a no hitter so far. Like, yeah, you and everybody else. We're all excited. Everybody loves a no hitter. That's why when nobody wants it to get jinxed, they're like, right. oh my gosh, like this is so special, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I want to give some quick examples from like my own personal career and like superstitions. Yeah. I was never really a crazy superstitious guy. But I would do it like in game, but I never had like rituals that I followed. You know, Bullshit. If, I was, if I was like, Bullshit. What? what do you mean? Bullshit. When you were a kid, no. Bullshit. You had pitching rituals when you were a kid. What did I do? You would, you had, okay, I shit you not. When I, I distinctly remember this because I would make fun of you, Caden and I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, checks out. <laughs> No, but you you would have the when you back when you pitched because you don't you didn't you didn't pitch you haven't pitched for a long time, but when like that like when you played on the Yankees, you did this thing where you would you always had to like lick your lip, you would lick your fingers, you have this thing where like you lick your fingers, you had a thing, um, mom mom could not stand the fact you licked your fingers because your hands were all over the ball and the dirt, so you would lick your fingers. And then it's good for your immune system, Come whatever. On. And so then <laughs> then you had one where you scuffed your foot a certain number of times. And if it would, didn't feel right, you'd do it again. Totally. No, okay. you bullshit. When you were a kid okay. pitching, I never okay. saw, I will say I never as a kid, I never saw you do it other than when you were pitching. But again, okay. I didn't have my eye on you as much. Yeah. When you weren't pit, like, you know, when right. you're at shortstop, it's different. You're not watching yeah. that when. Unless you're up to bat. Okay, yeah. I'm going to call bullshit on myself off of Michaeli's bullshit because... <laughs> no, 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 no. Like, I'm agreeing with you. Like, oh, I'm I thought like, you were... No, no, no. I'm literally saying she's like, no, Michaeli's right. So I'm calling myself on... She already called me bullshit. I'm going to call bullshit on myself. Yeah. Because, like, now that I remember back, it's like, damn, I really did do did do a decent amount of stuff. But I guess I was never... It wasn't even conscious. I wasn't even, like, doing it. I was like, I have to do it this way for this outcome. Which is where I think it becomes a different superstition, right? Yeah. Like, different than yeah. superstition. And I think that... And what moves it into superstition is that, like, you know it's not logical. And there's also, like, a certain... <laughs> right, right. There's, like, a certain level of... You think it's like some angels in the outfield shit. You know what I mean? Like some divine yeah. intervention. That's usually what superstitions come from. Right. That whole idea of like step on a crack, break your mother's back. Mm -hmm. It comes from the idea that there's like this butterfly effect or that there's this idea of every single thing you do affects something else. Right. Which is like ultimately true, but not in that specific way. Like it's not like causation. I think See, that's I don't difference. think it's, it's not true. I don't right. think it's true. So we and we can have this philosophical debate another day. Yeah, that's not for this podcast. That's not for this podcast. <laughs> but but so it's interesting. But when you just when you were like, I don't have superstitions. And I'm like, dude, you had certain pants the way you wanted them washed. You oh had gosh. socks. Yeah, like, no, take it from somebody who's known you your entire life. You 100 percent right. got sucked up into that culture. Understandably yeah. so. Now that right. I'm learning how seeped in it's it is so seeped. To sports culture. Yeah, so, I still have problems, and it's in theater culture too. I still have problems when people whistle in a period when people whistle because there's a big thing in theater about you're not supposed to whistle in the theater, like backstage. cat call or like just whistle. No, 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 no like just whistle. Oh. You're just not supposed to whistle. <laughs> like and people in the audience aren't supposed to be like. <laughs> <laughs> you're, not, no, you're, just, you're just not supposed to whistle like backstage interesting i, I don't know okay. the origins of that and i need to look it up but or i used to but but i seth 
my my fiance will just whistle sometimes and i get irked because it was so ingrained in me especially when i was doing professional theater as a kid like you do not do that and it's a weird culture thing that i think like you said you didn't even realize consciously that you were participating in these rituals and then which things that evolved to superstitions right right well that's cool so anyway i did it cool good to know i appreciate the outside perspective because obviously i wasn't aware Okay, so um, like my team, a couple of examples, like just other ways that it's like in culture, right? So like, yeah, yeah, this is not just my team, it extends a lot of different people. Whenever we were on a winning streak, guys would hound you about doing everything the same way, right? They would be like, dude, make sure, you eat, make sure you eat the same breakfast this next morning. Make sure you listen to the same music playlist. Don't wash your jock strap or your sliding shorts. Take the same number of swings before the game. Like, like guys were serious about it. They were like, like if if I would go and I would eat a different breakfast, they'd be like, bro, you had eggs yesterday. What the hell are you doing eating French toast this morning? Like, we, we won yesterday. Really? They would harp on you that like that? Yeah, they're like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, dude, like it's just French toast. Like, I want French toast. Okay. What? What? A, <laughs> what? What an idea. Lack of control. Like, it's, it's just, just <laughs> yeah. like, Jesus Christ, y'all. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And like, if you were in the game, it happened in the game too. So like, if we got, someone got a hit and we scored a run, we'd all like celebrate, be like, whoa. And then we'd all be like, or somebody hit a home run. Right. We'd all celebrate, go be like, yeah, what's up? That was awesome, man. Whatever. And then everybody would yell, get back to your spot. <laughs> so like, we all had to go back to the same spot that we were in, in the dugout. And it, like, as if, as if that's what played the major role in us scoring a run. Right. Like that's not bananas. <laughs> yeah, it is bananas. Okay. So this is a good segue, right? Like where, where do superstitions come from? Why are they so prevalent, right? Where are they so seeped? And I talked a little bit about it earlier with like a perceived sense of control, mm -hmm. right? And, and so obviously baseball, like life, it, it's unpredictable, okay? So like mm -hmm. ultimately the reality is what happens in the game, like where the balls hit or whether or not it's a ball or strike uh, is called, right? Or what pitch is thrown if you're looking from a hitter's perspective or whether or not the batter swings, looking from a pitcher's perspective, all of that is out of the player's control, right? Like you can't yeah. control any of that, right? So players have superstitions because they like to believe that they have some influence on things that realistically they don't have influence on, right? Yeah, that's human nature. Yeah. So it's, it's a completely fascinating cultural phenomenon. And, you know, while it may seem totally silly believe it or not there is actually some validity in the crazy rituals that all these players do okay i don't believe that for oh one just wait second. just I wait don't, i do not <laughs> yes. no you're not i'm gonna say i'm gonna put this on the record you are not gonna convince me that there's seriousness in this bullshit i will hear you out and i will listen and i will laugh and i will joke but my mind will not be changed please all go right. We'll see how it goes. To quote an infamous great, okay, Yogi Berra, okay, <laughs> an 18-time All-Star and a 10-time World Series champion. Oh my God, I totally thought you just meant Yogi Bear, which is why I have <laughs> my water breath in my cup. And I was like, John Michael's about to co quote Yogi Bear to me, and I'm about to lose <laughs> to, my mind. We weren't even allowed you. to watch Yogi Bear as a kid. <laughs> Yogi Bear Jeez. said... The wise sage Yogi Bear. That hey, I thought that's exactly. Hey, I, I thought you were going for sarcasm. Hey, boo boo! Superstitions not. are real, boo boo. Oh, yeah. All right. Sorry. Please keep going. Yogi Berra. Yogi Berra. Okay, he's okay. a catcher for the New York Yankees. He's an 18-time All-Star and 10-time World Series champion. Okay, he said baseball is 90% mental and the other half is physical. 
I also don't believe that. I also believe that there needs to be a percentage for luck in there, but whatever. <laughs> okay. So Yogi Berra was, these are called, he was classic for like saying things in a funky way. They're called Yogiism. So he, and a couple other ones are like, uh, it's deja vu all over again. Oh, that um, comes from him. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, or you can observe a lot by just watching. That also comes from him. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know both of those phrases. That's oh, yeah, phrase. dude. Yogi Bear is he's awesome. Um, but but so like while he says yeah, in a little funky way. Yeah, he's awesome. Boo -boo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> while it says a little funky, he's right. OK, and what he's emphasizing is how important it is for players to have a proper mindset and focus on that when entering a game rather than like just simple physical prowess. OK, that makes sense. but. The way right? he phrased it is poor. <laughs> it's Yogi Berra. 90% <laughs> men on the other half is physical. It's hilarious. Okay. So another guy that's important to mention. This is a guy named Ken Revisa. Okay. He was the foremost advocate and expert on the mental side of baseball. And through his book called Heads Up Baseball, Playing the Game One Pitch at a Time, as well as personal training he's done with players, he's helped thousands and thousands of players and coaches improve their performance. Okay. So a main focus of his book is the importance of routine. Okay, so he argues that when players establish a routine, which is a consistent set of actions performed on a daily basis, right? He says, so when they do that, when you have a routine, it can center and focus your mind. A mind, he also talks about like that a mind that is irritated about a past error or an umpire call or worrying about a future at bat or inning is a mind that's unproductive and deleterious. Okay. That's a, but a SAT word. Okay. So a mind that is focused on the task at hand, right? Which is fully present in what it's doing is one that can help lead one to greater success. That's not new. No, no. He's not saying it's new. He, but he's applying it specifically to the game of baseball. Okay. That's what he did, right? Because he took these concepts in psychology that have been around for forever and he applied them to baseball and created a routine for baseball players specifically. Okay. Cool. He just like took Socrates and put him in like a baseball uniform and just called Don't it. Don't we all just take what other people have done and change it a little bit and then give it to, <laughs> give it away to somebody else? I like... literally have a book called <laughs> Deal Like an Artist. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. keep going. Superstitions are crazy routines. Okay. They are illogical routines. Right. So while they may not be founded in physics or legitimate causation, right, they can work because players believe they work. Okay? Again, you're going back. I, I'm not going to deal with this law of attraction <laughs> shit. It's bonkers. Jason Giambi believed that the golden thong helped him hit better. So it did. Ken Griffey Jr. believed that the Mercedes-Benz didn't have any hits in it, so it didn't, at least to him anyways, okay? Our minds are very powerful things, and what we believe can help create our reality, okay? What we experience. If you believe that putting on your right batting glove before your left batting glove gets you more hits, then if you do that, you'll probably be more confident at the plate and are therefore more likely to get a hit, right? It's not the actual act of putting on the right batting glove and then the left that gets you a hit. It's the fact that when you do that, your mind feels more centered and focused and less anxious and worried about the things that you can't control so you go up there being like, okay, cool. I put my right and then my left on. And that's going to help me get a hit, right? And then you're more likely to get a hit because you're thinking in that way.
But the irony is that wouldn't you, because if you don't do that, (laughs) then it creates anxiety and worry when the real control would be that you are able to allow the anxiety and worry to exist, whether your superstitious routine is there or not. Of course. And that is a much more pure approach that a lot of baseball players, right? Like Evan Longoria is a prime example. He's like, dude, I'm not superstitious, but I do believe in routine, right? He's like, I don't do like wacky, crazy things like wear golden thongs and stuff. But he's like, I have a routine that I follow to get my mind focused on what the task at hand. But it's the idea that like, even if you don't have an intentional, right, idea about your mindset of the game, Moises Alou hit 303. <laughs> okay, that's the P guy. <laughs> I, I know who he is now. I will never forget him. <laughs> that's the P guy. He hit 303. 303. That over like is a, our area a, code. I don't know what you mean. I'm kidding. But <laughs> it's a very long over a very long major league career. He hit 303. And you know what? Peeing on his hands freaking worked for him. I just, you know what? And here's the thing. If it worked for him, great. I just never want to be his bat boy. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's it. So it, at the end of the day, okay, superstitions are wacky. They're funny. They're zealous. They're pure. Okay. They are a prime example of the desperate attempt by humans to get some kind of control in this world. Right? Yeah. And they have been deeply integrated into baseball culture and have been a part of the history of the game for hundreds of years. And they will continue to be that for forever. Thank you for teaching me about superstitions in baseball. Uh, John Michael, we're going to learn a little bit about the Tonys. Uh, The awards thing, right? Yep. Let's get it. What are the Tonys? What do you know about the Tonys? Tony, Tony, um, Tony, Tony. Name that musical. Um, a, a Life of Tony. No, the producers, but okay. <laughs> a Day in the Life of Tony. No. Um, okay, well, I have no fucking clue why they're called the Tonys. I don't know any, re- any I have no idea about that. No, but what uh, are, I didn't ask you why they're called the Tonys. I asked what are the Tonys? It's the award show. It's like where they're like, hey, you did a really good job here. It's like, you know, this is this is best best um, score, right? Or something. Or maybe that's movies. But they're like best, no, best they, music. They scores. OK, best musical, best play, best um, actor, best. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's the awards. It's, it's the Oscars for Broadway, right? Yes. Cool. Um, so it's the Oscars for Broadway. And um, I want to know, did you know that the Tonys was named after a woman? I did not, which is actually surprising because of just like most things are named after men, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah. So the Tonys, actually, the Tonys were named after an actress, producer, director, activist, humanitarian named Marie Antoinette Pierre Fruoff. And it's Mary Antoinette. Sorry, not Marie. Mary Antoinette Perry Fierre off i don't know if i'm pronouncing her last name right i'm sorry that's her married name it's fine she's mostly known as um antoinette perry Mm -hmm. and she was born in 1888 in denver colorado cool yes 
So that's where we're from. But John Michael, the person the Tonys are named after is from Denver. So um, a little bit about Antoinette. Um, Antoinette had a really long effing name. And so she was called Tony. That was what <laughs> I feel you, Antoinette. I feel yeah. you. People don't want it all the time. I'm like, I'm like, people, I'm like, oh, I'm John Michael. And they're like, hey, John. I'm like, no, no, my name's John Michael. And they're like, no, no, hey, John. Because it's John Michael's too long. Can I shorten that? Can we call you JM? I'm like, yeah, dude, I guess one extra syllable is that hard. So I feel right, you, no. Antoinette. I feel you. Yep, Mary Antoinette. But yeah, so Antoinette was her name, but she was called Tony. And um, she grew up here in Colorado. And she actually started acting when she was as young as 15. And her first show was in Pueblo, which I did not know there were theaters in Pueblo, but apparently there are. Um, I didn't know there was anything in Pueblo. <laughs> There's Sorry. a lot of stuff in Pueblo. <laughs> I know, I'm that was, I'm yeah, just joking. It's okay, a whole town. Pueblo, don't get offended, Pueblo. Um, but she was, she was cast in a show that um, her uncle's uh, a film that her uncle was doing a, as a stock actress. Do you know what that is? You're working at the Piggly Wiggly plant. Nope, it is not. <laughs> Stocking them shelves. No, it's like an extra in films. It's like a background stock. Oh, okay. Okay. So you're just kind of, yeah, you're not one of the main pieces. You're just there. No, you're in the background. All right. Um, and so she was there and she just fell in love with acting and theater. And mm-hmm. um, theater was like her big true love. And so she eventually got married to Frank Freyoff. Um, but Frank and her met because he went to go see one of the shows she was in at the Elitch Theater. Like Elitch Gardens? Yeah. What do you know about the Elitch Gardens, John? Isn't that, it's a roller coaster place. Yeah, it's the amusement park here in Denver. But originally, it was a um, zoo-type park. It was like a um, a zoological gardens. Um, and, and they had and a, a stage? Uh-huh. They had a whole theater in it. The Elitch Theater is actually still there in Denver today and is actually still used. People use and do they do shows at the Elitch Theater. And it was originally created, the Elitch Theater for vaudeville acts. I love learning new things. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's right? like, like I'd have never known place. that. I got fallen into the marketing trap. It's it's an amusement park. That's all there right? is the, to but it. The place, the place that you and I grew up going to roller coasters and and going to graduation parties and you know, all of that was where the woman who's the Tonys are named after got her start. I, I had to share this fact of like doing vaudeville, which I do want to do a whole episode on vaudeville and the history of that. And do you vaudeville. know? Sounds like a Russian vodka. N- n- no, vaudeville. <laughs> you know what vaudeville is, right? McKaylee, how many times are you going to ask me that question? And how many times are the answers going to be? No, I have no clue what that is. It just shocks me sometimes. (laughs) You you know what that is, right? No. (laughs) No, that's the whole podcast. Fine, 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 fine. I don't know what it is. (laughs) Sorry. I know. That's why we did this podcast. Anyway, (laughs) I'll teach you about vaudeville. But uh, Antoinette, she married Frank and had uh, three daughters um, and was convinced to stay home while they were raised. You have to keep in mind, this is like the the late 1800s early 1900s yeah, sounds very historically accurate right there yeah and so um however she lost one of the daughters Ugh. uh in child uh, like very shortly after she was born and uh and uh antoinette actually suffered a stroke and uh half of her face was paralyzed so actually if you look at any pictures of antoinette you only see half of her face 
And that's why, because she was really self-conscious of the fact that the other half of her face was paralyzed, which is a fascinating like correlation because there's another really famous playwright named Sarah Rule, who's a brilliant modern day playwright um, who also had a stroke and had half her face like paralyzed. And she wrote a whole memoir about it called Smile, how her smile was screwed up. I was going to say, are you going to tell me that Antoinette still went out and was like performing with like half her face paralyzed and stuff? Well, that's what changed. So her husband died. But before he passed, when they when they first uh, got married, his company, he like worked for like an oil and gas electric company, something. And their headquarters were in New York. And so she was like, take me to New York. So they moved to New York, um, leave Denver. And that's where the Denver. New was. York. Yeah. Concrete that- jungles where dreams are made of. Alicia, you, you can burst into song. So can I. So. <laughs> There's a lot of references to New York and Broadway. Um, they moved to New York and after her husband dies um, of a heart attack, he she's like, I want to go back to the theater. That's what I want to do. And she didn't really start going as an actress. She um, wanted to be a director, but that was not a thing at the time. Yeah, culturally, historically, they were not letting women, women do that. Women right? at the time, women working backstage, they worked... If they weren't on stage and they were working backstage in the theater, they were costumers or seamstresses, right? right. They didn't okay. do anything else. Okay. And being a director or a producer for a woman was unheard of. Okay. But she kind of had this work love affair. They weren't ever... I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's hard to... His name is Brock Pemberton, and he is very well known in Broadway, I don't want to give him his own episode because people. Then how come I haven't heard of him? I didn't. (laughs) If only y'all could see Michaeli's face right now. I know (laughs) the disappointment. So it wasn't. It wasn't necessarily a love affair. Her daughter describes it as like a work love affair in the sense of like they were, they were so in love with how they worked with each other, and she would always come home to her children, and he would always go home to his wife. But like they'd call and talk to each other about Broadway projects and that type of thing. And so they formed this partnership. And he actually was her producer for the first show that she ever directed. Um, And they became this like power duo. So much so that even one of the shows uh, was that they did was called Harvey, which won the Pulitzer Prize, was also written by a female um, who also is from Colorado, believe it or not. And I know. I know like all of this is so cool to talk about and it's like nobody knows this stuff it's I I have a formal theater education and I had to look up so much shit about this woman and I'm like I need to know who she is it's so cool so can I ask a question real quick yeah how did she so so how'd she overcome the barrier to get her first directing job was it because of Pembleton or was it yeah like he he helped her her. okay so he kind of was like yeah we're gonna let because he produced it so he said I want you to direct this yeah so So that relationship okay producers are essentially the 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 checks of of Broadway shows and movies right so they are the one that gathers all the talent gathers all the people and says hey we're gonna put the money behind this to Mm -hmm. actually make this film um and or actually make this play, whatever it is, right? So Brock yeah. Pemberton, as a producer, knew her from acting and being involved in the theater right. and like was aware of her. Gave her a shot. Yeah. Okay. And it was really great. And then, like I said, Harvey took off. Harvey ran on Broadway for seven years, which for a Broadway play is unheard of. Okay. It won the Pulitzer Prize. And it was a movie starring Jimmy Stewart. What year was this? Do you know? 
1944. Okay, so she's like 60. No. She, wasn't she born in 1888? Mm-hmm. So she's like 60, 50-something. She's, fi- she's 50-something, yeah. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Wow, man, the tenacity. Yeah. Just keep going and get your big I know. 50. And so she, I mean, she was acting in huge things when she was only 18 years old. Like, wow. it, 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 she was just well-known and... Some of her plays, you're not going to know these. And it's fine. She, she her directing debut was in 19 was in 1928, though. Okay, so she was doing okay. this over oh, the okay. span. Gotcha. So she was doing this over the span of of 14 years. Gotcha. And so Harvey was kind of the last like big one. But the 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 reason I mentioned Harvey is because any theater person on here will know what Harvey is okay. and will recognize it. And that's when and I now say I that, do I, too. Right. And so she was a producer on Harvey. And so the biggest thing about her in that sense was she really, really pioneered female directing like and producing. Like up until the 1970s, she was the only female director to have like so many consistent hits. Like she mm-hmm. just was. She was good at what of she did. Course. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really cool to see. But not only that. John Michael, what happens in the 1940s? World War II. Yeah. So World War II really, really hit the theater scene. But she created, she formed the American Theater Wing War Service, which is a foundation that helped soldiers brought Broadway shows overseas. Organize, she organized a drama school for veterans. And she had organi- she had um, fundraisers and and like really taught theater and the healing power of theater to veterans during the war that's badass right that's badass right that's so cool that's insane it's insane especially with like the cards stacked against you in society where like women are just not treated with the same respect or reverence for their ability and like the fact that she was doing all of this stuff with that that same that that um underlying adversity that was just inherently there yep and still just giving back and still serving and still just making amazing experiences for people for creating i mean that's that's amazing yeah she's uh helen hayes is quoted by saying that tony was a gifted and versatile actress and one of the best directors the american theater has produced boom right it's amazing. Not yeah. only that did she start the American Theater Wing War Service, but she also is one of the founding members of the American Theater Wing who run the Tony Awards. To this day, the American Theater Wing is the organization that runs and handles everything Tony's related. And it was created by four women. Let's go. Right? Bananas. <laughs> Let's go. Bananas. It's amazing. Um, and so she's, like I said, she is an incredible human unfortunately in 1946 she died of a heart attack she was 58 years old uh tony was and so she never made it past 1946 she actually never got to see the tony awards that she was named for because the first tony awards ceremony was april 6th 1947 and it was held at the waldorf astoria and it was this black tie optional kind of it had a 15 minute radio broadcast tickets were um only seven dollars and then because it was so popular they raised it to ten dollars at the time and they like mickey rooney was there you don't know who that is 
sounds it's vaguely familiar somebody famous okay. i know that for yes. sure famous 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 actor the organization of the american theater wing created the tony awards and it was so popular because of her legacy because of what she was known for of having created so many opportunities for soldiers for young actors for women in the theater and she gave back and create opportunities for people. I can't right. think of anybody else that's better deserving of getting that, you know, right. acknowledgement. So originally, though, they were called the Antoinette Perry Freeoff Awards. Yeah, it's and too when long. they were handing out <laughs> the first one, they called it the Tonys, and it has ever since been referred yeah. to as the Tonys. So she was inducted into the Colorado Colorado Women's Hall of Fame in two thousand four. Um, just some like a hall of fame for all women from Colorado, like no matter what they do, Mm -hmm. uh, that are like from and born. I have to check that out. Yep, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Um, just some other like cool facts, fun things about her to note. They there's a quote in this awesome article by uh, the Denver Public Library about her of Tony has been successful in breaking down barriers to get women into the world of directing. She encouraged young talent and was in charge of 7,000 auditions for young people. She believed in investing in young talent. And the Tony Awards are now televised annually in her honor. And they're huge. I mean, like anybody that's theater, you know, you watch the Tony Awards. It's like you're just I mean, that's like y'all and you and mom's thing, man. Mm -hmm. It's like y'all just love it because it's like. And it makes sense, right? But but that's yeah. so cool to me to think that like it's named after her and how much she was about promoting young talent. Well, if you're not going to, you have to give young talent opportunity and then when they take advantage of that opportunity, then they get awarded for it, right? And yeah. so all the people that, that are getting these awards is because of the opportunities that she created and, and that other people created. Yeah, Lit. it's amazing. So the Tonys were first televised in 1978 by CBS actually. So just a little bit of delving into the So it was all radio more. before then? Okay. Radio or just a party. So they, <laughs> yeah, they were just always, like, yeah. <laughs> you you didn't always go. That's the thing is that like there was a, always a dinner is what happened and the Tony Awards presentation. And they did it in the ballrooms of hotels. They didn't even do it really in a place where people could like come and watch. Some people did perform. Um there they did have entertainment that people would come and sing. Um you're not going to know any of these people, but it's fine. It's like Henry Fonda, Sidney Poitier, um, Shirley Booth, Carol Channing, Joan Fontaine, Paul Newman, like these amazing people over the course of these years would come and perform at the Tonys. It yeah, wasn't, yeah. like I said, it is not like the Tonys that you know of today. Right. Cause now they do like, it's like on a stage and they're like, they do the, the musicals and the plays, they do performances. Right. And they like yeah. in the middle of the, the award show and stuff. It's like mm-hmm. a huge event. Yeah. Yeah. CBS first televised it, like I said, in 1978, um, and they have they have ownership over the Tony Awards. The CBS CBS, CBS. broadcasts it from here on out, okay. and it wasn't until 2003 that they devoted an entire three hour time slot to it. Yeah, that's 2003. Hmm. Well, that just shows you like the popularity of theater, right? Like yeah. how it, how it grew throughout time and history. It was like. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's all, you know, it's a money gra- money game, right? So it's like, yeah. you know, if they're only going to put m- time and money into things that they know people care about, like as an investment, right? So like, obviously, the work that 
Miss Antoinette was doing three hours of television time. That's huge. Yeah. I mean, that's like it's a, a big- lot of people got to care about that. So the other thing that I want to mention is that for the Tony Awards, there was a point in the 90s where they were going to take it off television because it wasn't making any money. Mm-hmm. And which that happens. Yeah. And it was, <laughs> it's, a, it's a money game. It's a money game. Money game. Uh-huh. And so there was this big push about the fact that if we started getting celebrities to kind of support theater and support the Tonys, then we could have them still be televised. And what was cool about that is it was kind of this natural thing that happened. Rosie O'Donnell, Whoopi Goldberg were people that really pushed for it um, because they were like, the Tonys theater is where we got started. And just because people can't access it by going to Broadway all the time doesn't mean that they shouldn't get the chance to watch it. And so with the help of people, like I said, like Whoopi Goldberg, Rosie O'Donnell hosting the Tonys in the late 1990s, um, that's when eventually the viewership went up enough that this year will be the 76th annual Tony Awards. Nice. Yeah. All because of this one woman from Denver, Colorado, who loved theater. She just loved it. She just poured her heart and her soul into it. And that's what. That's what it's about. And mm-hmm. she just did what she liked. You know, she did what she loved. And she wasn't going to yep. let like anything stop her from doing that. No matter the fact that she was a woman back in that time or that half of her, she had a stroke and half her face was paralyzed. Yeah. And those those stories of of overcoming the adversity that way is like, I love that. And I love that. And like, look at all of the amazing things that have come from that woman's life and what she chose to do. That's my favorite stuff. Great story. Great story. No, I think it's I think it's wonderful. And for me, I just I felt this need to one. I wanted to dispel the myth that Tony was um, based off of a man, which bothers me to no end. Um, And I wanted to talk about Antoinette because she is somebody that I did not learn about in my theater class. And it makes me angry that there are still not female enough female directors we're about to head into the 76th year of the tony awards Uh how many women have won a tony for best direction of a play or musical how many women have won there's 70 okay 76 have they always 70 75 years have they always had that award was that one it was one of the very first it was one of the originals okay okay um 11 10 Oh, 10, 10, 10 women to That's this brutal. day. It's 2023. What percentage is 10 that? 10 women have won. What's 10 divided? What's 10 divided by 76? Yeah. So can you name the 10 trailblazing women who won Tony Awards for directing? And that's only so, 13%. That's so bad. Uh huh. And in that world, that considers a failure in my world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, that's a failure in baseball, too. Yeah. So um, one of them was actually just um, just one for Hades Town, which is a musical Joe Michael knows I love and have seen. Yeah, that's like in 2009. It's one of my faves. Yeah. Top five. Yeah. Um, 2019 is when she won and she was the fourth, fourth woman to ever win for best director of a musical ever rachel chavkin is her name she was the fourth so there's been six since 2019 
No, dude. For there's best play, best direction of a play, and best oh. direction of a musical. Right. That right? distinction that I still don't understand. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna work <laughs> with it. Um, <laughs> one day. The first female to ever win a Tony Award for Best Direction, John Michael. Guess what year it was? First year. Well, it wasn't Antoinette because it was named after her. Nope. Um, 1974. 1998. And it was for Julie Taymor <laughs> and Gary Hines winning for The Lion King, the musical. They've been around since 47. <laughs> yep. And then it was Ouch. Susan Stroman for The Producers, which you Ouch. know. I do know that now. Yeah, you know the producers. Um, and then Mary Zimmerman for Metamorphosis, Ann Shapiro for August Osage County, Marianne Elliott for Warhorse, Diane Paulus and Pam McKinnon um, for uh, Pippin and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, uh, Not Rebecca Cochran from Indecent, and then Rachel Chapkin for Hadestown. Virginia Woolf got nothing on me, bro. Yeah. Um, it's... So it's just sad to see. It's something that I wish there was more of. And I I wish there was more female writers. I wish there was so many more behind the scenes in female because here is this woman who the Tonys are named after and who is so formative in American theater. And she is one, not taught in schools. And two, it shows that we still have such a long effing way to go. We do. So yeah, for you, me, I, I, I know that my story was not necessarily as exciting as pee on the hands and superstitions. It's um, com- comical. I, uh, I don't yours know is much more comical. Mine, I was excited about mine because I love the idea of going up to somebody and being like, hey, do you know that the Tonys are named after a woman? And I love that. And I think that it's it's cool for me to like know that story. And that's the beautiful part, Michaela. That's the beautiful part about this podcast. Everybody that's listening to this, the beautiful part about it is that like, we we get to pick which stories we want to talk about right yeah. and it's and like because it's important to you it's important to me yeah right because it's important to me it's important to you and that's what's amazing about it and that's what i love and i have loved about recording this episode is it's like i learned so much and i got to hang yeah. out with my awesome sister that i adore and i got to share something that i thought was cool and that can be different and that's the point yeah. You it's know, that's awesome. the point of it all. Well, thanks for hanging out with me, John. Thanks for teaching me about superstitions. You got it. Thank you for teaching me about the Tony Awards. It was an absolute joy, McKaylee. Yay. All right. Well, we will see you guys. We're hoping to do this like two weeks, every once every two weeks. We'll see. Um, but we got plenty of stories and plenty of knowledge to share. <laughs>